Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. I'm so excited that you guys got excited about reading the response and reading. Haven't had that response in a while, and I'm thankful for that. But we want to just do a part two to Wednesday night and even to this morning, as Jeff has kind of led us into this thing about holy healing. Thinking about this and praying about this, I did some research, and according to a 2012 report by a group called Pew Center, or Pew Research Center of America, over 75% of our nation profess to be Christian. Now, I'll say that again. Over 75% of our nation in 2012 profess to be Christian. So how is it that being a Christian is not popular? You see, the word of God has been relegated to a, a, a opinionated, self-help book for weak-minded people. When the word of God is the one that declares that Jesus is the Savior. You know, I said that in 2012, 75% profess to be Christian. But the days I stand before you, that's less than 65% of those people who claim to be affiliated with the Christian faith. And of that 65%, only 37% of those people say they are affiliated or associated with a local church. You can understand this because in the natural, there's very little attractive about the Christian faith. It calls for a life of self-denial. It calls for a life of surrender. It is morally restricted and goes against our trending society and culture. This should not be a surprise to any of us because Jesus was not attractive. This is the whole point of Isaiah's message in our text. Isaiah said that Jesus came as a suffering servant. I want y'all to focus on those two words, suffering and servant. Suffering has to do with pain. None of us like pain. And with our ethnicity and our background, when we think of servants, we think of slaves, and none of us want to go back. Amen? So, 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 we don't want to be associated with either suffering or servant, but a suffering servant was exactly what the world needed. Isaiah Prophecy explained that the world was sick with sin, idolatry, and rebellion, and needed a holy healing. And that healing could only come from a holy God, who loved the world so much that he became a suffering servant. And we look at Isaiah, and I do encourage y'all really to begin to read this. I know it's, it's got six, six chapters, a long book. But it is a book that will bless you for the most part of the first 52 chapters that preceded our text. Isaiah focuses calling the people to repent and come back to God. But in chapter 6, he has said something very interesting. Let me kind of just overview chapter 6. Here's Isaiah saying that when the 
King Azar died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He recognized his own sinfulness. And then uh, God asked him a question after he had seen God. Who will go with us? Whom shall I send? Who will go with us? And Isaiah responded immediately, Here am I. Send me. Now, when I was going through the congregation this morning, I was talking to a lot of young men and a lot of young women. And I'm telling them today that God is still asking this question. God is asking, who will go for me now? I still have a need. Whom shall I send? Let me see if I can kind of make this plain. Most sinners ain't going to come to church. But you live in a sinful environment. So he's asking the question, who will go for me into the sinful environment and share the word of God? They ain't going to hear past David, but they may hear you. Even if they came to church, they probably wouldn't want to hear me, but they may hear you. This question was kind of profound because after Isaiah said, who am I, here am I, send me, God said, the people that I'm going to send you to ain't going to hear a word you say. I'm sending you to stubborn people. And just because they don't want to hear, don't mean you stop talking. That's why y'all hear me say some of the same things all the time. That question prompted Isaiah, I believe, in chapter 53 to ask his own question. And I want to say to you today, it's one of the most important questions that one could ever be asked. And if you will join me in Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to look at verse 1, and we're going to see this question that Isaiah asked. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The word report, and I want y'all really get this, means a revelation from God about God. In other words, these are God's message about himself. It refers to communication of news. And in a spiritual sense, it implies conveying of doctrine or teaching about God's word. Now, this word arm is a symbol of strength and power, which will be manifested in the life of the Messiah when he was when he come. So Isaiah's message was about a revelation of God's power and God's strength to heal the sin sick people. Now, I know right now a lot of y'all are in pretty good health. At least you think you are. But I didn't know I had cancer until the doctor told me. I mean, I never had any pain. I never felt ill Ill effect. I didn't know it. And that's where it was sin. Some of us think that we're okay, but we're sin sick. But the people did not believe 
his report. Why? Because in their mind, the process did not meet the criteria for the outcome. Whoa. A lot of words there, but I won't say that to you. That's heavy. The process did not meet the criteria for the outcome. In their view, the words power and suffering didn't go together. That was a contradiction between the two. Now, if I got power to stop something, I'm going to stop it. If I got power not to suffer, I ain't going to suffer. So in their minds, it really didn't make sense. They had a preconceived idea of what the Messiah was going to look like, what he was going to be like, and what he was going to do. You see, they expected a victorious king who looked like a king, who dressed like a king, who talked like a king, who acted like a king. They were not expecting a servant. So Isaiah go on to tell them in verse 2 these words. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. Ladies and gentlemen, I know y'all seen Michelangelo's picture of Jesus. Some with blonde hair, some with blue eyes. He ain't look nothing like that. Some people think it was a self-portrait. But there was nothing in Jesus' physical appearance that would draw people to him. His physical characteristic was not desirable. In fact, it was just the opposite. The scripture mentioned about a tender plant in a dry ground. Folks, that is something that is fragile and very easy to uproot. He goes on in verse 3 and said this. He is despised. And I want y'all to notice the present tense. He is despised and rejected the men. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he says it again, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus came unto his own, that was the Jews, but they didn't receive him. Same is true today. Jesus shows up in our worship service. But because he don't meet our expectation, we reject him. Well, 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 today, Dr. Dunbar started with that one of them old church songs. I ain't into that. So I just turned my mind off. Well, the choir came out with some song that I ain't never heard about power. And it's supposed to be old-fashioned day. So I just turned my mind off. He shows up. But he don't meet our expectation. He shows up, but sometimes the preacher may hoop and he's teaching the word and you don't want to receive it because he ain't past the day. He not only shows up in church, he shows up sometime in your work area, in your job. You're praying for 
God wants to get a closer walk with you and then you get, you get demoted. That keep you praying. So you, you blame, you blame it on everybody. Going, going, going to the, to equal opportunity offices and you blame everybody. But that may have been God showing up. Go on, Will Coxon. See, the word sorrow and grief implies a shame which causes one to hide and avoid, avoid being in one presence. One, one, I'm going to read this again. I want you to kind of get it. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, and then as and we hid, as it were, our face from him. That implies shame. And sometimes, like during the holidays, from October 31st to New Year's Day, we have an opportunity to profess our Christian faith. But because it's unpopular to be a Christian, we kind of hide our face. We are ashamed to stand up and say, I don't believe that. I don't believe in that. So when they offer us things that we need to do that's going to fit in with everybody else, we're ashamed. Can I, can I give you a little idea of what, what this scripture is talking about when we hide in our faith from us? I love my daddy very much. And don't get me wrong, my daddy was a good man. My daddy just had a problem with alcohol. And when my daddy wasn't drinking, all the boys around would come around because I was one of the few persons that had, had a dad in the neighborhood. A lot of the brothers didn't have a dad. But every once in a while, my daddy would fall off and get drunk. And I would see him walking down the street. And I knew it was my daddy. I would turn away and go a different direction. Because I was ashamed to own him as my daddy. Somebody get where I'm going with this. See, sometime in our lives, God may put us in an uncomfortable position. And we really we hide our face from him. Because we don't want to be associated with the Christian faith. This is what Isaiah is saying. But then, think about that. You are ashamed to own Christ in certain situations when verse 4 kicks in. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten notice of God and afflicted. Can I make some of y'all mad right now? You see, human tendency is to side with champions. Many of you are fans of the Yankees, the Patriots, and the Lakers because they're winners. Yet your birth certificate and your driver's license has the state of Georgia logo all over it. Now, I ain't, I ain't mad at you. Don't get me wrong. I just want to make a point. 
We don't like losers. We don't like being associated with losers. Y'all with me now? The suffering of Jesus was that of a loser. But his loss was for our gain. Jesus became a loser so we could become winners. Jesus became a loser to save those who were losers. And we are ashamed. We come to worship. I, 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 I know everybody ain't there. We come to worship. And we don't want to show no emotions at all. Because somebody may think you feel with the Holy Ghost. What do you feel with when you go to the ball game? <laughs> but as it reminds us of something in verse 5. Our key verse. But he was wounded. I want you to notice the personal pronoun. For our transgression. He was bruised. For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. Was upon him. And with his stripes. We are healed. Jeff, I, I had a problem with this. I've been working on this for two weeks. By his stripes or with his stripes. Which one's correct? Translated different on interpretation. But the point is that Christians have used this in times of physical sickness as long as I can remember, even before I was saved. And don't get me wrong, it ain't nothing wrong with using this scripture when you got a physical Pray it. Prayer, it's okay. But it's talking about spiritual healing here. <laughs> it's talking about those who trust Jesus' suffering as their only redemption from sin penalty who are made holy. What does it mean by made holy? It means that something you wear, something you act, no, it means you were set aside for salvation. God, God when you trust Christ, he just moved you into a different area. Regardless of what you do or how you do it, he just moved you to a different, he set you aside, that's mine. Just like I take this water and set it on this side. That's what he did. This is hell, this is heaven. Now, unless you're over here to heaven, you ought to act like you're going, though. You see, this spirit of healing was necessary. We were not only sick, we were dying. Jeff already stole my thunder and said this Hebrew word is Rafa. The basic idea is restoring something to its original holiness. You own it, Jeff. Restoring something to original holiness. And this brings me to a point of going all the way back to when sin started in the garden. Adam and Eve had a relationship with God. Satan deceived them. That relationship was torn. And what he's doing here when it says by stripes are healed, he's restoring that relationship. Adam disobedient, 
resulted in the sin of all humanity. And this sin nature that we've taken on is a terminal disease of the soul. Y'all got it? It's a terminal disease. Now, we, 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 we look at that, oh, well, let the doctor tell you what you got is terminal. He said, somebody said, well, what that mean? That means you ain't getting over this. We're all born with this terminal disease. And that symptom that you got the disease will be eventually show up in your lifestyle. Boom. I don't care who you are or how moral conscious you may be. Sooner or later, sin is going to show up in you. And you need to recognize it. Those of us that have been delivered from a foul mouth, every once in a while, even if you don't say it, it comes to your mind. That lets you know it's still there. Those of us that still want to go back and, and be with another member of our opposite sex when we married somebody else, lets us know that that sin nation is still there. It's just a part of us. We have to get a new nature that began to transform us. Let me move on. Time is passing. Why? Why do we need this holy healing? Verse 6 tells us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. All, everyone. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't know how many people are here, but I don't know y'all all seeing. I don't know how bad yours was. I don't know how bad mine was. But the Lord took whatever I had and laid it on him. Yours too. And he had enough grace that whoever called upon his name, he said, I take your sin upon me. And I'm going to nail it to that cross. Now, now I'm going somewhere and I ain't going to apologize for time because I believe y'all need to hear this. The healing process was realized through two major events of suffering. First was the crucifixion, when they actually nailed Jesus to the cross. But it was preceded by the second one, which was a severe beating. Now, I want y'all to really pay attention here uh, about this beating that Christ took when we look at his stripes. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who has declared his generation? For he was cut off out of the land living. This point I want to get to. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. This is God talking. So my son is stricken for my people. Taken from judgment. Jesus was tried by two courts. A religious court on the Jewish authority. 
but also a civil court on the Roman authority. Here's the point I really want, want to give because I've heard this say so many times. The Jews did not crucify Jesus. The Romans did. Now, see, the Jews had a restriction of how many times they could hit Jesus or any man, which was 40. And they would always use 39 because they didn't want to go over the law in case they made a mistake. Jesus was not crucified by Jews. He was crucified by Romans. And they could hit Jesus as many times as they wanted to. They did not get restricted. So he wasn't hit with 39. It might have been 139. So all the time say he was 39 stripes. No, we don't know. But I guarantee it was more than 40. Y'all got that? Now I want you to think about that because when you think about how many people that the iniquity was laid on. Let's just say for every sin that you committed, he was hit. How many would that be? It wouldn't be just one, two. For me alone, there'd be a hundred plus. Now, okay, y'all ain't got it yet. No, I don't think you got it. Say it again. Y'all got it? Y'all got it. Okay, well, listen to this. The Roman used a whip called a flagrum which consisted of a small piece of bone and metal attached to a number of leather straps. Jeff brought this out, and I know some of y'all missed it. Jesus did not wear a loincloth, as you see on these pictures. Jesus was naked. Nothing. But he became naked so that we could be clothed in righteousness. I think y'all getting it now. The beating which came before the crucifixion was a fulfillment of God's curse on Satan. In Genesis, God told Satan that he going to get your head, but you're going to bruise his heel. So notice this in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Oh no, y'all, 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 some of y'all need to start crying now. And, 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 and I, I got to get to it. Let me get it. Doing the scourging, the skin was ripped from the back, exposing a bloody mass of tissue and bone. Extreme blood loss occurred. But even before the flogging, Jesus was severely beaten and tormented by the Roman soldiers. After the flogging, he was forced to carry his own 100-pound crossbar, wasn't a full cross, to the execution site. Jesus may have carried this thing 600 yards, a two-football field long, up a hill until he actually just passed out. And that's when the guy took the cross. And help Jesus. Yeah, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. 
when thy soul shall make his soul an offering for sin. The extremely amount of blood that Jesus lost and the lack of oxygen, which I'm going to get to in a minute, caused severe cramps and spasmodic contractions. How many of y'all have ever had a cramp? Be you had a cramp in your upper loins at night, you know what this can feel like. Jesus' hand and feet were nailed to that cross bar and to what they call the stipend. The stick. Get this. I, I, I used to have them here. I, I had them on my desk. The spikes were seven inches long. And it, they by the stick as those candles. And they weren't nailed in the palm of his hand. They nailed in his wrist. And at the top of his, all the way through the bottom of his ankles. And this position caused him to put his rib cage in a position where he couldn't move. And every time he lifted up to breathe, his flesh tore. So when you read, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. This is what it means. He did not give his son as a conquering king. He gave his son as his suffering servant. He had a redemptive purpose in mind, and he gave us what we needed. Verse 11 and 12. Speaking of God, he shall see of the travail of his soul. This word travail is used often of a woman going through labor pains, Dr. Grant. Said he shall see his travail and be satisfied. And be satisfied. As, 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 as he's going through the agony of what he's doing, God is sitting up there on his throne saying, that's good. Now I'm talking to somebody. See, you're going through some hell right now. And how you handling it, God is saying, I'm satisfied. Goes on to say, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. That's why he's satisfied. For he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12 says, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoils with the strong. Because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgression. Why was Jesus crucified? Between two thieves. And he bare the sins of many. I pray that you are one of the many. And made intercession for the transgression. Jesus loved us so much, he was willing to die this utmost shame and pain. For our sin. The Bible teaches that God, in human form, became flesh. One without sin became sin so that he could save sinners like us. Notice, the manner in which Jesus died is undisputed. It's a historical fact. Even the most devout 
Exodus believe in the historic account of how Jesus died, all that suffering. But they reject the biblical account of him being raised from the dead. I got two questions to ask you before I close. Which report will you believe? Which report will you believe? Jesus is a historical factor or he's the savior of the world? And the second question is how will you respond? The answer to the first question will determine your answer to the second. Jesus made holy healing available to us. To refuse it is to accept that you are dying in your sin. Let me give you a historical fact about death. In the 1600s, this country was devastated by a plague. Some people call it the Black Plague. Many of the older people will remember it as Blue Bonnet Plague. It was a disease spread by something as small as a flea. The flea was on rats, came somewhere from Europe. Small flea that multiplied. I don't forget how many people died of blue blood plague, but it was a whole bunch of them, and it would have devastated this country had not they found a cure. Cure came by way of an antibiotic. And this antibiotic had the power to inhibit the growth and destroy the plague. But it did it with something on the outside because there was nothing in the human body that could produce it. Interesting fact about the word antibiotic, it means anti-death or against death. But today I submit to you, there's a greater plague than blue-black plague or the black death. But we have a better cure than an antibiotic. We have the blood of Jesus. It's not against life. It's against death. So the question that I asked earlier how will you respond? Who report do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus suffered that much? If you believe Jesus suffered that much, how will you respond? How will he want you to respond? He will want you to let his death to be in vain. Stand with me as we consider that. Before we partake in a ceremony that he instituted so that you wouldn't forget. So every time you partake of the bread and the wine, I want you to remember what he went through.
I was going to do a lot of things to dispel some rumors. A song that says he never said a mumbling word. But there was a time that Jesus did cry out. The Bible lets us know he cried out. In agony. One was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You. So, the cure. The cure. How, how, how do you get this cure? You're sin sick. You've never been, let's just say, inoculated. With the blood of Jesus. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.